0: live there it is all right welcome everybody we got a special thursday episode for you all today i'm super excited about this we're going to talk about heritage history inclusivity all these things that matter and uh, we have an awesome guest that's going to help us out with that so here we go let's have some fun
1: practicing polyamory real-life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory the mission of the practicing polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community enjoy the show
0: All right, all right. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to this beautiful Thursday. If you are joining us for the first time today, welcome and thank you for tuning in. And if you've been here for a while, then you already know that we are live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, three opportunities every single week for you to ask questions. So if you have any questions about your relationships or if there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on the show, slide into my DMs, leave a comment, or leave a comment while we're recording live. You can follow the show on all social media platforms at Practicing PracticingPolyA. Let me know what it is that you want us to talk about. And as always, as a reminder, if you're listening to this podcast, you are a welcome guest to be on the show. None of us are perfect, and we are here to share our imperfect stories because the more stories we hear, the more others will see us in themselves, and the more representation we have, the more we can strengthen our community. So go to PracticingPolyamory.com. Sign up to share your imperfect story too. All right, now my favorite part, which is introducing today's awesome guest. Today's guest is one of the most musically gifted people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting in real life. As the frontman for an eclectic, versatile musical group whose songbook bu- song includes Mexican folk, rock and roll, Tex-Mex, and cumbia, our guest has toured all over the United States and filled arenas with screaming, admiring fans. <laughs> Music, however, is not the only way that our guest uses his voice. As a trans-border resident, our guest is intimately familiar with the struggles of Mexicans on both sides of La Frontera. He is in the process of completing his master's in Latin American studies, specifically focusing on transborder identity and its effects on gender, creative processes, and artistic performance. This guest was gracious enough to lend me his wisdom and knowledge as I've explored my own heritage, and I'm excited today to share his story and learn more of my own. Joining us today from the touring band Harabe Mexicano out of San Diego and Tijuana, Baja California, Mexico, they always say that, lead <laughs> vocalist, karaoke superstar, and my personal friend, welcome to the show, Tavo Alcocer. <laughs> All right.
1: Quiet the introduction. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's the little thing that I can do. Thank you, Tavo, so much for hanging out with me today, for spending some time, and for the wisdom that you've already shared with me and what you're going to share. Thank you so much.
1: Well, you're very welcome. Um, I don't know if it's so much wisdom, knowledge, wisdom, I still have a few years to gain.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're we're all getting there. I think we're about the same age too. So, you know, (laughs) I feel that, I feel that, I get it. (laughs) So Tavo, tell me, tell our audience uh, a little bit about yourself, a little bit about uh, your history. Um, And, you know, I'll start with this. Um, You are, one of the things that stood out to me when we had our conversation was the fact that you did not even learn Spanish until you were in high school. Even though you were crossing the border beforehand, so tell me a little bit about your your history. Uh, this this revelation, I guess, of learning Spanish uh, a little bit later in life, and how that drove you to choose Latin American studies.
1: Well, you know, it's it's funny. I guess it's because I led such an insulated life, um, being in Tijuana and going to school in the states. Um, You know, my mom always prioritized, as we've discussed, um, prioritized English. Um, So when I would come back home, uh, I was kind of at the mercy of my, you know, whatever my mom could do for me, um, because my language skills were just not there. Uh, I understood Spanish for the most part, uh, but I didn't speak it. I didn't write it. I didn't read it. Um, So in high school, just because of the circumstances surrounding me getting into the high school I wanted to get into, um, they told me we only have two spots available and both spots require that um, you take four years of uh, Spanish language courses, um, two of which uh, were college level courses. They were AP courses. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was, you know, one of those like, well, I guess I just have to do it. Um, But it really just opened everything up for me um, because I realized first of all, how much I was missing out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I already had an idea um, considering that it was hard for me to even talk to my cousins and my aunts um, in Tijuana. So, you know, so it opened up all these opportunities. um, And uh, ultimately, I think, you know, even then, It took me a good couple of years of going out in Tijuana as an adult after high school to kind of start solidifying because I learned kind of like the British Spanish, right? The, The very... Regal uh, Castellano from Spain. Okay. And, yeah. um, so, so I didn't know, still didn't know a lot of the, the, you know, um, idiosyncrasies of, of Spanish. And so it took me a good year. I mean, I, it wasn't until I was in my mid twenties, I think that I felt a lot more comfortable speaking and writing and communicating in
0: Spanish. That's so interesting that you were actually living in Mexico uh, and only getting to, to understand your own language, your own culture, you know, that much later in life. Um, what what was it like, I guess, you know, when when you would cross over from Mexico to get into the U.S., uh, which one felt more home? Which one felt more like home? You know,
1: it's a a really interesting question because growing up, I think that as a kid being brought up with that mentality of you're American first, um, for a long time, it was very clear to me that San Diego felt like home, even Mm -hmm. though I never lived, well, I did live there until I was about maybe five or six years old. Um, So I had roots in San Diego um and family members as well um but it was you know this weird thing you know i would go to tijuana and i would hate it because i had no friends in tijuana um you know all of my academic you know stuff was in san diego all my friends um so it was tough uh for a long time to accept that san diego was not my home um Mm -hmm. But I think as I got older, um, and especially in the last kind of 10 years, I, I, I came to grips with it again because um, I got out of a long-term relationship. Uh, I tried my hand at, you know, uh, renting rooms in San Diego while I got through school. and um, And then my band started touring and that really put me in a spot because I was like, well, now I'm paying rent and I'm not home Mm-hmm. more than half of the month or, you know, those kind of things. And so I thought, you know, this might be the time for me to go back home to Tijuana. And, uh, so, you know, a few years back, I decided to, to move back and basically, um, stay with family. Um, when I'm in San Diego, um, when I have to work in San Diego or I have to go on tour, I'll make a pit stop in San Diego. Um, and, uh, and yeah, uh, so it's it's been this weird kind of scenario of asking what 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 is home? What is home? Mm-hmm. What is home? And and for me, I guess my mom is home. Um, you know, they say home is where the heart is. Right. Um, but I think as I got to travel, I think I I got to really start um, appreciating Tijuana. Um mm. The kinds of things that I personally lived. Um, it may not be everybody's experience, but you know, I grew up in a pretty uh, middle income neighborhood in Tijuana. It's an older neighborhood. So um, when I was younger, there was crime. but now as an adult, it's become a very quiet neighborhood. Um, and you know, life is laid back there. You know, I, I have a little mom and pop store that I go to as well as a convenience store in a supermarket right in my own, you know, backyard. And um, the people, when they greet you down there, you know, is, is very proper in, uh, in some ways, um, but there's always a buenos dias, que tal, you know. Um, so it's, it's a very warm environment that I don't know that I appreciated um, while I was growing up and, and now as an adult, I think I'm really lucky that I get to have this experience, even though it's, it's way out of kind of the norm, Mm -hmm. but, uh, and it's, and it's difficult at times. At the same time, I'm like, wow, I get to experience some things that, that many people are cut off from, you know? Right,
0: for sure. It it sounds to me like there was a lot of, dual identities there's a lot of of these two things that you're uh not necessarily struggling with but but certainly balancing and trying to find uh how both apply to you and make you who you are um and even more i'm sure identities than that so kind of on that note um what we had talked about and the reason why we why we got to talking uh, was because of this whole thing that I'm trying to create, you know, more inclusive spaces, and uh, you know, you you reached out to me to help me understand uh, more deeply the the Mexican heritage, the Mexican culture. Um, so I want to ask you with these with these dual identities and and these different things that you were struggling or, or uh, that you were working through, navigating. Uh, how is it that? knowing the history, knowing the heritage, knowing where we come from, can help us to create inclusive communities.
1: You know, it was interesting, um, what struck me about your situation, uh, as you began this this journey, um, uh, I thought to myself, you know, what a great opportunity, because I find that For a long time i created this idea of who i was um and of course as i started growing up uh i started finding you know interacting with those moments that would show me otherwise and and having that constant negotiation as you said of you know am i american am i mexican am i mexican american am i chicano am i not um what does that mean to me Mm -hmm. and Ultimately, I found that just the more information I got, it wasn't necessarily that I was going to identify right away with all of these histories, all of these legacies, it, but it would allow me to have a, a, a more clear picture of what was out there that I never realized was out mm. there for me, right? Um, as we discussed previously, you know, I got involved in Mecha, which is a Chicano, a student a Chicano club movement uh, that began way back in the '70s um, and still exists today in schools throughout the country. And and I had you know difficulties because I was not leading a, a very typical Mexican American life, mm-hmm. and so that was my struggle. Um, and, and there were moments where I thought, you know, I don't feel that political identity of being Chicano, um, because at least the way it's been um, described to me, it is a political identity. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's from a moment where someone of Mexican descent in the United States or of other Latin, Latino descent will actively try to quote unquote, decolonize their identities, right? And notice I say identities because we wear a lot of hats, right? It's not just one identity, at least not in my point of view. We all kind of transition through these multiple identities all the time and simultaneously, and um, especially people of color, right? Mm -hmm. Because we have had to learn how to act in certain spaces, right? Right. And we joke about that, of course, but there's some very real truth, very painful truth, that we understand that even though our society says we're all equal and free, that our position in the society has conditions. And we have been conditioned to accept that. And, you know, so that's what I saw from my perspective when I heard you speak about your experiences that I thought, yeah, you know, it'd be surprised when you realize, you know, the, the eye-opening comment for me growing up was was somebody telling me, you know, assimilation is a violent act. And I remember how much that caught your attention. Because for all intents and purposes, you know, assimilation is not necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. right? We all try to fit into an environment when we move cities, when we, you know, we all try to change to, you know, figure out how we're going to survive. But in our case, uh, in our cases, you know, we were asked to change and be different than what we might have chosen had we known that it was okay to be Mexican, right? It was okay to claim these roots it was okay to, to identify with certain histories, certain struggles. Um, and and what I find is when I do identify with those struggles, um, it gives me not only, well, it empowers me. It makes me feel stronger. It makes me feel more confident um, because I realize that, that there's so much more than myself that goes into my story.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that hopefully my story will contribute to other stories.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it sounds like it's it's a full embracing of who you are instead of trying to pick and choose. And, and uh, like I was talking about the balance, instead of trying to balance two identities, you're just embracing both as wholly and completely you. Does that sound about right?
1: Pretty much. I mean, although it's like anything, when we talk about identities, culture, all of us experience things. We joked about how we don't like menudo,
0: right? Uh-huh, right? I mean,
1: we we all, you know, have these these cultural, like, tropes that we accept and that we go, you know, you're not Mexican if, or, you know, whatever, you're mm-hmm. not Filipino, you're not black, you're not white if, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right, right. But obviously, I mean, those are generalizations, right? Um, for me, it became more of this kind of, spiritual sort of deeper, like, how do I look at this beyond the, the, the superficial stuff about it? Because I think we get lost when we, when we really get into details um, that are superficial in my point of view, rather than get to the heart of things, get to the why of things. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you ask, why is it important? Why is me learning about Mexican history and Mexican American history. Um, why is that important to me? It's to me it's again, it's not so much that you wouldn't be able to live a, a, a you know fulfilled life if you didn't know this um, but I do think that once you start learning about it, it, it changes everything. it changes what you question. It changes the, the lens that you'll see things through. Um, it, it definitely gives you perspective about history, but, but also understanding why things are the way they are right now. Right. Like, how is it that we got here? Because oftentimes we can't figure out solutions because we don't know how we even got here. Yeah. And that you know, that's what spoke to me about your experience. That I thought, you know, how can how can you know what questions to ask if you haven't even seen what's out there to question, right? To to really know. Oh, you know, is this something that I think is important for me or not? Um, rather than just accepting this idea that being well. I'm trying to be careful about how I word this. <laughs> <laughs> Oftentimes, because again, being American, we're taught to strip away in many ways, the things that make us unique in right. order to kind of fit into the mold of an ideal American. Mm-hmm. And that just doesn't exist, I don't think. I think that's, that's something that we've constructed. Um, like any identity is constructed and it serves a purpose, especially for people in the military, right? Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. when you don't question certain things, um, when you are taught that we're all equal and we should all treat each other, and you're put in that sort of environment where you're shielded from that or shielded from, from experiences that contradict that, you know, I, I have so many friends in the military that come out and tell me how they have had struggles with that when they realize that the real world society um, doesn't behave the way they're taught in the military, that society should behave. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. And a lot of people have difficulties. Um, And, and so again, you know, I don't think, you know, having that mentality is necessarily a bad thing. If it serves a purpose, obviously that's why it's used. Right. You know, so, I don't know. I mean, I can't tell you yet that your experience is not valid because it's yours and it exists. And so ultimately for me, my goal is not to say, you need to learn more about you know, these histories in order to be a better you. Mm-hmm. I think it's more about making informed decisions, you yeah. know, like anything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Uh, When you were talking about the um, ideal American mold and the way that we are expected to strip away the things that make us unique, the things that make me Mexican, the things that make somebody else Filipino, the things that make somebody else black and all these different things. Gay, Um,
1: you know, straight,
0: you know. Right. I, I think about the, the ideal American mold that you're talking about. And like, what comes to me is, is the wasp, right? The white Anglo-Saxon Protestant male. Like, this is What's that? <laughs> A
1: pilgrim, essentially. A pilgrim,
0: right. I mean, but uh, uh, evidently like that is the, the ideal American mold and everything, all of our other cultures, everything else that we are is supposed to be like aiming towards that. And I think that, this is this is kind of the the realization that i'm coming to in this conversation right now is that by denying all of my own heritage by denying all of my own culture by being ignorant of it i continue to work towards the the white model if you will where you know i i'm not allowing myself to embrace these things that are me and by doing so i'm not allowing Other people who might be on as my guests to uh, to embrace everything that is them, because by me working towards this ideal, I am in inadvertently or 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 unconsciously expecting the same of others.
1: And, and that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, at the end of the day, when it comes down to, when I mean, it changes your perspective, that's exactly it. You, you, you will, again, you, you, you might start to question things differently or actually not question when somebody says, well, I, I identified as this and your mind won't automatically, you know, um, kick in and go, why, you know, why so, or why not? Um, it might even just be, you know, giving about giving you the chance to wait and allow for more information to arrive, to then be able to ask a question. So I mean, it really, you know, creating safe spaces is definitely difficult, um, but I I think that when there is obvious respect involved, it doesn't matter how different, you know, or, or two two parties might be. I think that that respect is what allows for the communication to flow. And, um, but again, these ideas of respect are in many ways old fashioned now, Mm -hmm. you know, because in society, it's like, if you talk louder, if you scream, if you yell, if you do the drama, that's what gets attention Mm -hmm. instead of having these kind of open conversations um, that are, all about just being able to understand each other, right? But but it's that fundamental respect that I think um, is what allows for us to have that space, right? And then it's that constant, that conversation is constant, mm-hmm. right? It's not like the space is provided and then that's it. No, it's like actively, consciously, we have to be very much more involved with providing that space. And, right. and and so, yeah, you search within in order to understand what's outside of you, you know,
0: yeah, I I, uh, I feel like I read something uh, speaking uh, of this consistent work, this constant work, this nonstop work. Uh, I feel like I read something about uh, you and your band, and uh, that you all are doing some kind of work. Uh, consistently also on this front. Can you tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing? Yeah, it's
1: it's pretty neat.
0: We never expected
1: it to be the case, but you know, we started kind of as a, as a party band, but uh, playing Latin music. Um, but inevitably we recognized because we were all studying music at San Diego State and uh, some of the members were taking the music education uh, route. And so we quickly picked up that they had the potential for us to kind of explore our identities as Mexican Americans, uh, you know, who live on the border, the kind of music that we grew up listening to and, and be able to display that right on stage. Um, And it just basically took off. I mean, we, we get hired a lot as diversity hires um, Mm -hmm. in order to, you know, basically we get hired by communities that don't have a lot of, diversity in their community. But um, they want to expose their audiences to to different, you know, cultures and stuff like that. We often also get hired uh, to try to bring in um, Latino communities uh, to certain venues or certain spaces um, that normally they would not feel invited um, in. And so, um and, and we also did uh, a few years back, get to travel down to Baja. Um, we got hired by the American consulate in Mexico to travel down to Baja Sur and go into the schools down there and play this you know traditional music. Um, and many of the school children down there had never heard this music. So it was this kind of weird cycle of here I am, come from a Mexican, grandparent who played traditional Mexican music.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now I'm playing this music in the United States, and now I get to travel to Mexico to bring it back to younger generations who have also been distanced from these, you know, these folk uh, styles and, and and music. And again, it just kind of opened my eyes to how lucky I was to be exposed to these things, how how other people value it in a way that I didn't recognized when I was younger. And, um, and again, so now, you know, for the past, basically five years, we that's been our our mission is just traveling around, we work with schools, we work with um, nonprofit organizations, government um, entities to really kind of display border culture um, as a thing. Uh, And to try to explain to people that even though I have these different roots that, in the end, we're very much alike, right? Mexican folk music and American country music have a lot um, everywhere. Everywhere we go, we we're shocked by. I mean, right now we just came back from Kansas. Uh, next week we're going to be in Nebraska for the first time, uh, celebrating Mexican Independence Day. Nice. So, yeah, it's this weird kind of thing that that kind of developed and I thought, you know, once again, I mean, how lucky am I, this poor kid from Tijuana who now gets to, you know, go to these places and sing his shoulda, coulda, wouldas and share something wonderful with people is is
0: just beyond anything I could imagine. Yeah. I <laughs> well done, producer, well done. Tavo, it is such an honor to know you. Such a pleasure to uh, be able to hear you sing uh, at, at karaoke when we're when we're both able to be there together. Um, it, it, and it's such a pleasure to you know get to to learn from you. Is there anything else uh, that maybe I missed? Any last uh, thoughts that you might want to leave with uh, our audience before we head off?
1: Yeah, I mean, my my big thing is to to not think of yourselves as this one kind of thing you know think of yourself as this rock that has all these different you know sides to it and and as you go through life you just start discovering more and more of that rock till you realize you're really a mountain and you have Uh you know so much to offer the world um so yeah yeah and stay positive and um and take care of yourselves please especially in this day and age so
0: I love that, I love that. Uh, Last question for you. Uh, If somebody wants to get to know you, get to know your music, uh, especially for our listening audience because not everybody can see what's on the screen, how can people get in touch with you? How can they connect with you?
1: So you can connect with the band at jarabemexicano.com. You can find us um, under Jarabe Mexicano on Facebook, on Instagram, on uh, YouTube. I also have a, a personal page called Tabo Alcocer Performing Artist. And I record videos from home all the time and post them on there. Um, so yeah, you can find me on any of those. I'm always open to talking and chatting. So yeah, see, seek us out and check us out. If you if we're ever visiting your town, um, check us out.
0: We, we have Absolutely. a fun show. Uh, is your schedule on com? It is. So our calendar is up there.
1: And you can also check us out at marianlebowitz.com, which is our manager's website.
0: Nice. Perfect. Tavo, once again, thank you so much for spending some time with me for uh, your wisdom. I'm going to call it wisdom. I don't care what you say. Uh, <laughs> and your knowledge, and because I especially love that uh, I'm not just a rock. I'm a mountain. Uh, Ooh, no. there. That's that's wisdom that's wisdom. (laughs) So thank you so much.
1: Let's, let's hope it comes
0: true. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hope, let's hope. And thank you as always to our live audience for tuning in today. As a reminder, when we're live, you get no commercial interruptions, but the same can't be said for those podcast downloads. So If you want to avoid the commercial interruptions, be sure to catch us live Monday through Wednesday, 2.30 Pacific Time, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or Twitch. Or sign up for Patreon where you get access to our commercial-free RSS feed and support the show. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, wherever it is that you uh, download your podcast. And if you haven't already, please leave us a review. We'll really appreciate it. Thank you once again, Tavo. Thank you. Thank you, James. Love you, love you. Love you. Love you. And I'll see you soon, hopefully, at karaoke. I hope so. Until then, and until next week, everybody, you all. Have a nice day.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash practicing polya. Yay.